0: So, if you're joining us today for the first time, I know there's a couple of you, uh, we have been kind of going through the book of Proverbs, what wisdom is. Uh, we spent about three weeks talking about what wisdom is, why we should want it, why we should want to avoid foolishness, uh, what might we, or how might we define wisdom? Yeah, Jonathan. Jonathan. Yeah, having knowledge and knowing what to do with it, right? The right application of biblical knowledge, Uh, like a sailor on a ship, knowing what to expect and then knowing how to get your ship in the right direction, right? Uh, And so now, for the next, I guess, six more weeks, we're going to look at, uh, through the Proverbs, several themes. So last week, we looked at work and laziness or sluggardliness, slothfulness. Today, we're going to look at the tongue or why our words matter. Other than wisdom itself, which I don't know is necessarily a theme in the book of Proverbs, but it's just kind of the overarching umbrella under which everything else flows, the tongue is far and away the most frequent theme that Solomon writes about. He, there are around 90 Proverbs uh, from in the 31 chapters of Proverbs uh, that talk about what we say, how we say it, what we don't say, what we should say, all of these things. And I read one author this week say that the average American speaks 700 times every day. It means you are typically going to open your mouth and say something 700 times today. And he wrote, okay, if, if that seems like too much, you don't, you don't believe that, let's just cut that in half. Maybe you just speak 350 times today. Or maybe you just lock yourself in the room today and you don't do anything, communicate with anybody else. You're, you're, we'll cut that in half again just lowball it here and say that you're going to speak 175 times today even if we just give the bare bones lowball estimate for how many times you're going to speak 175 times today there is probably nothing else that you do besides breathing uh, that you're going to do 175 times today but again that's the lowball estimate most likely you're going to do this thing speaking 700 times today There is nothing else you do today. No, there's nothing. Walking. Okay, fine. 700 times today. So that's why Solomon gives so much attention to this. It's because you're going to do it 700 700 times today. So we're going to do today, we're going to try to answer three questions again. We're going to try to answer, what do we say? And by that I mean, apart from the Gospel, what do we say? What do we, do? what do we naturally say? What should we say? And then how should we say it? This outline is kind of the same as the, questions that, the three questions that we try to ask all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. of, Who are we? Who should we? Or who ought we become? And then how do we become that? How do we get there? So we're going to try to do that today. So what do we say? Apart from the Gospel. Left to ourselves, what do we say? Proverbs 18, 7 says that a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Left to ourselves, our mouths, what we say, will ruin us. Left to ourselves, we are gossipers, we are liars, we are boasters, we're flatterers, we're slanderers, we're embellishers, we're insulters. We're hasty and rash with our words, not thinking about what they are, or what they might do. And then maybe equally as bad as all of those things, we're silent when we actually should speak. So left to ourselves, we, all of that comes out of our mouth. And my guess is, at some point in your life, you can identify with all of those things that I just said. And the Proverbs have something to say about all of those categories. We're going to look at a few of them today. Another little intro statement here, Proverbs 18.21, Solomon writes that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We're going to get to the life part in a little bit, but right now we're going to look at death being in the tongue. I mean, really, Solomon? Come on. He's a little bit overboard, right? Not really death. But first of all, yes, literally, death. I read one commentary this week who noted a woman in California, she killed herself and her suicide note that she left, all she wrote was they said words what people had been saying to her about her had literally driven her to death. Words have a killing power to people. Words have caused murders, right? Somebody said something and you this person might react in killing that person. Words have caused wars. So yes, Solomon, literally, words can cause death. But I think he's also meaning, yes, also psychologically. Every single sermon and commentary that I read this week about the tongue, every single one of them mentioned this phrase that we all learned when we were six. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Right? We all know this phrase, right? And the reason every single one of these commentaries mention this phrase is because it's ridiculous. It's a load of garbage. I love, I listened to uh, Pastor Ryan's sermon on this, on our tongue, on our words from six or seven years ago. And he said, the reason we made up this phrase is because parents got so tired of having their kids come home, being so hurt by the words of others at school that they gave them this lie to believe in that maybe... Maybe if I believe that words don't hurt me, then I can trick myself into thinking that they won't. But they do. Words hurt. 12.18 says that there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Sword thrust is is a, a, a thrusting of the sword is meant to kill someone, right? And while you may be able to remove the sword once you've Stab someone, the wound and the scar isn't going away, is it? So you can say, hey, I take it back, man. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to say that. But the wound isn't going away. Words can really hurt. And we've all been really hurt by something someone has said, right? Either to our face or behind our backs. We know that words have the real, real ability to really wound words may never hurt me, is <laughs> garbage because it's not true. So, they can also not only hurt the receiver of the words, right? If someone insults you, it certainly hurts you, but it also, Solomon shows us, that it also hurts you, the speaker, the giver of the words. 12.13, he says that an evil man is ensnared, by the transgression of his lips, the picture here that he's giving is like little spider webs coming out of our mouth as we speak, and then, and then we just walk into them, and we can't get out. Right? We're ensnared by the words, these evil words coming out of our mouth. I think this what might be what James has in mind. And if you have got your Bibles, flip over to James, chapter three. This is the longest most thorough exposition on our words and the tongue in our Bibles. Hebrews, then James, near the end of the New Testament. We there? Okay, chapter 3, verse 2, and we're going to read through verse 8. James writes, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, in his tongue, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Think about it like this. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, this little bitty thing that you put inside a horse's mouth, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. James is saying every, th- every animal out there, the lion, the bear, we've got them in circuses, right? can tame a lion to have him open my, his mouth and stick my head in it. I can tame this lion. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So James is saying, our tongues lead us like a bit in a horse's mouth. Our tongues are full of unrighteousness, not only spider webs ensnaring us, but able to start like a tiny spark can set an entire forest on fire, a fire of destruction. Our tongues can lead in destroying destroying those around us, a whole world of unrighteousness. So how is this? How is our tongue that capable of destruction? Well, we're going to go through a a few of these categories here. First, by gossip. 18.8, back in Proverbs. You guys can flip around on these if you want. Write them down or underline. I totally meant to have these on the screen for us this morning, but I kind of had it. I was a little busy yesterday. I forgot to do that. This dating relationships thing. So, 18.8, the words of a whisperer are like a delicious morsel. They go down in the inner parts of the body. He's saying, we love gossip. We love to hear it. We love to give it. And it's like a delicious little piece of candy, a little delicious piece of bread that goes down and just makes us feel all good inside. Why is that? Why do you like gossip? repentantly I do too I I'm drawn to it but why is it what do you think why are we drawn to gossip why is it so alluring enticing yeah Soliana. you want to know people's business right leverage. leverage good one yeah you store things away and use it use it use it later yeah right at least I'm not like them right puts you in a place of moral judgment Yeah, exclusivity, right? I feel like I know something that somebody else doesn't. And then that's why often it drives us to go tell somebody else because it does make us feel exclusive. I know something that you don't, right? And I I think those are really good. And I think also kind of in jealousy, we like to see other people ruined, right? I think that's especially the case why we like celebrity gossip because these people who have it all together, they're rich and famous and beautiful, when their marriage fails or they get arrested for a DWI or whatever. We love that, man. Yeah, they're, they're, they're I don't know, they're fake and weird. they're terrible. We, we love to see people ruined, kind of put in their place, right? We, we know that people have always loved gossip, right? Because Solomon wrote this, however, many millennia ago. But I think we, as Americans today, just feed off of it we love it we are a gossip culture not just with the people in the hall right but like i said we we love watching celebrity gossip shows why is that because i think we want to hear people's business and i think what chris said is right we love to sit in a seat of moral judgment say i'm better than that i would never do that I'm somehow better off. One author defined gossip as saying, saying behind a person's back what you would never say to his or her face, right? That's true, right? So you would never talk about, I don't know, some relationship, what you heard about what happened last weekend with this guy and girl at school to their face, but we'll talk about it all day long in the halls with our friends, right? So this is gossip. And why is it so bad? 1628, Solomon says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close close friends. It's bad, because it's putting up barriers in relationships. It's separating us. It's separating community. and Not only with just us. It's one thing to gossip about people in this room and in our church, but it's also putting up a barrier. When I'm gossiping about I don't know, Lindsay Lohan or whatever, whoever is in the news, it's putting up a barrier between me and Lindsay Lohan. How is that true? I'm probably never going to meet her, right? But how is it true that I'm putting up a barrier between me and her? I think it's what we just said earlier, what Chris said. It's putting myself in a place of moral judgment. So I'm better than her. She's not like me. I am not a sinner like her uh, It's just putting more and more barriers up. It makes it difficult when we are a gossipy culture to not trust one another, to not trust the words that are coming out of each other's mouths. Speaking of untrust, we're not only gossipers, but we're liars. 26, 28, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. We are quickly learning... We've got Owen and Caleb are our two oldest. They're two and four, and they are liars. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like, they'll, they'll be supposed to be in bed, they share a room, and we'll see the light on. We'll get up, and they're both in bed, but one of them has gotten up and turned the light on. Caleb, did you get up and turn the light on? No. Owen, did you get up and turn the light on? No. Well, We don't have a clapper in here, so one of you got up and turned the light on. And neither one of them will confess, so I don't know who to trust. They are causing complete anarchy in our relationships because I don't know who is lying and who is not. And that's why perjury in any civilized society, lying under under oath in a court of law is such a big deal and why you can be put in prison for lying. Because without the truth being told under oath, there would be utter anarchy. The court of law would not know who to punish, who to vindicate, and let go. There would be no order if there was no truth. So, lying is a problem because it's eroding trust. It's causing anarchy. It's, again, putting up barriers. And it's presenting something as true that isn't. Right? I don't know who, which one of you kids got up and turned the light on, but one of you is presenting something as true that is not true. And this is satanic. Maybe that's over the, over the line, but it's not. It's demonic. This is what Satan does first thing in Genesis 3. He presents something to Adam and Eve as true, that surely God wants you to be like him. Surely you won't surely die. Presenting something as true when it is not, lying is ungodlike, is satanic. And then we also saw in 2628 that a flattering mouth works ruin. Flattery is the exact opposite of gossip. If gossip is saying, some, say, saying something behind someone's back that you would never say to their face, flattery means saying saying to a person's face what you would never say behind his or her back, right? When we do this with our friends or with people that we want to like us, we'll say, man, you were really great at this performance uh, when, in fact, they were awful, (laughs) right? Or, hey, I really, I don't know, however we flatter our friends when when, in fact, we would never say that just to our friends, or to our parents about this person. We just want them to like us, so we flatter them. Untrue things. So we're gossipers. We're liars. And then we're brash and hasty with our words. In 29, verse 20, Solomon asks, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So this guy, when I was thinking about this guy this week, this guy is like, there's a field of open bear traps waiting to be stepped in. And nearly everybody can see the bear traps. But this guy is oblivious. He's just like, hey, all right, all right, yeah, all right, BAM! And he's like, just clamped on because he has no idea. He cannot see the consequences of walking into a field of bear traps. He is a fool. He just sits and talks and talks and talks not thinking about the consequences of his words. In 10.10, Solomon again writes, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. He thinks that he is the most important person in the room, that everybody was just waiting on what he might say next, because he is just full of wisdom. He's not considering what others might have to say. In the end, he thinks he's smarter, wiser, funnier than anyone else in the room. And so he just has to keep talking. And this, <laughs> I'll be honest, this this area right here is where I might need the most sanctification because I like to talk and I like to talk a lot. And when, uh, in our first year of marriage, Marcy and I hung out with two other couples. We were living in Denton for a year, our hometown before we moved to Louisville. We hung out with two other married couples a lot and we would have dinner with them once a week and, Just hang out a lot, and after leaving this house one night, Marcy was like, "You talk too much." I was like, "What? No, I don't." Listen, like the other, our other friends are sometimes kind of quiet, and to keep the conversation going and lively, like I need to talk. Things will die down completely if I'm not the center of this and making it happen. Right? She was like, "Shut up! Like you talk too much." And at first, I was kind of taken aback, like defensive about it, right? But then week after week, she would, like, either, if we were sitting at the table, like, kick my foot or grab my hand or just shoot me a look. And I'd be like, oh, I've been talking for like 13 straight minutes and not letting anyone chime in here. This was me. I thought that I was the smartest, funniest, wisest guy in the room, and people were just waiting on this whatever nugget of wisdom might come out next. This is pride. This is pride on my behalf, right? I think this is me walking through a field of bear traps. I think if we often now am beginning to realize how much of an interrupter I am when people are talking and I can just totally interrupt. I still do this and I need to be reminded of this. If you hear me interrupt, I pray that you would kick my foot or give me a look like, hey, stop interrupting, Because what is this saying? I don't care about what you're saying. Whatever I'm saying is more important than that, right? This is pride. And Solomon is telling us to shut our mouths. We can also not only open our mouth too much, we can open our mouth at the wrong time. In 26.7, verse 7, Solomon says, Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless so a lame man can't use his legs at all, they're just there, is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. So we can speak truth, but if it's not at the right time or full of grace, it's useless. Do you guys remember when I, on our first week of introducing the Proverbs, we kind of talked about how we mentioned this verse, that Proverbs are great, and to memorize Proverbs is intended, but if you use them at the wrong time, it's completely useless, right? So let's pretend you're uh, at your soccer game. Caleb, you were at a soccer game yesterday. You guys, you guys won two games, but let's just pretend hypothetically that you lost. And you get up in front of your team, and you stood up, and everybody's down because you don't lose very often. And you say, it's all right, guys. An apple a day keeps the doctor awake. What? No. The, Caleb gave us a wise proverb, but it was delivered at the wrong time, at the, in the wrong context, Right? He stands up and say, can't stand the heat, don't go in the kitchen. What? No. No. What his team needs to hear is something like, it's not how you, it's not whether you win or lose, or it's how you play the game, or some proverb like this, right? Well, it's the same for our wisdom. We can often open our mouth at the wrong time. So let's pretend you, you have a friend who's really grieving something. They've lost a loved one, or um, they have, they didn't get into the college that they wanted to, or something like this. This really hurtful time. Our tendency is to just walk in, sit down, and say, "Hey, buddy, you're all right." Romans eight twenty eight. God works everything for the good of those who love Him. Right? This is true. This this is true. Right? This is truth. God is sovereignly working all things for those. We love him. But perhaps we should talk about that thing in like four or five weeks. Maybe this person doesn't need to hear, hey, just buck up and trust God right now. Maybe this person needs you to put your arm around them and cry with them, grieve with them, mourn with them, instead of just spouting out just some theological truth. Or how how often do we find out a, a friend of ours is in deep, unrepentant sin, and we just don't say anything to them, or we might come up and say, hey buddy, Romans 8.1, there's therefore no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is this, is this true? Yes, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. However, maybe this person needs to hear about repentance and what it means to actually be in Christ Jesus. Right? So, truth when delivered at the wrong time and in the wrong context, is unwise. It's not helpful. We are also sarcastic with our mouths, with our tongues. 26, 18, and 19, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and then says, Hey, I was only joking, man. It's only joking. Your sarcasm, your biting insults cause hurt, cause death. And when you just write it off as, hey, man, can't take a joke? Man, that doesn't fix it. I just did this last Thursday night. Marcy loves to keep our house in immaculate order. If you've ever been to our house, you've seen that it's not just like she's tidied up the place because we have company coming over, it's always like that. She loves to have things where they go. And the other night, I said some, I, I kind of made fun of her for this, like, because she has to make our boys' beds like three times a day. She can't stand them to be cluttered. And so I kind of made fun of her, and she was like, what? I was like, hey, <laughs> just kidding. She's like, what? That really hurt. I'm like, no, but I was kidding. You don't understand. But really, I wasn't kidding. I really did mean to say something mean when you don't use your tongue to encourage others you're bringing death wounds that leave scars so not only that but all of those things but we can also not speak at all when we don't speak on behalf of those who are being made fun of being slandered or gossiped about We don't correct lies when we hear them or tell others to just be quiet for a minute. Stop interrupting for a change. When someone needs rebuke, like we read over and over and over through the book of Proverbs, like a wise man is one who receives instructions, receives rebuke. Sometimes you should rebuke a friend. I had one of my best buddies in middle school in 7th and 8th and even ninth grade. We hung out all the time. But he was the most dishonoring, disrespectful mouth that I had ever heard with his parents. Like, every time they said something, he just scoffed at them, laughed at them, and ridiculed them. And they just took it like whipped dogs. And I knew that this wasn't right. I knew that I should say something. Dude, honor your parents. Your tongue is just causing destruction and putting barriers in your family. And I never did. I just kind of... I was kind of worried about how he was going to react and I never said something. I should have. So, left to ourselves in all these categories, we see that our mouths naturally bring death, bring hurt, bring bring destruction. But we also see what we should say. I mentioned 1821 earlier where death is in the tongue, but Solomon also says that life is in the tongue. 1021, he says, the lips of the righteous feed many. So if we might think of our lips, our mouths bringing death, we can see, like, picture the idea of me just, like, opening my mouth and, like, little flying ninja stars or daggers, like, flying out. Ah! (laughs) Like, just wounding and hurting everyone in my path. Solomon also says that I can do the same thing with, like, I don't know, like, ah, of caramel apples for all of you to be enjoying and nourished by, right? Just as our mouths, our tongues, are our most powerful tool for evil, for hurt, for destruction, our mouths, our tongues, are our most powerful tool for life, for edification, for the building up of the body. So instead of gossiping, Solomon calls us to, in 11.13, he says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. We, do, we don't find delight in gossip, or we shouldn't find delight in gossip. in immediately hearing one thing and finding someone to pass it on to, right? And even, even better than just not gossiping, is being able to res- recognize gossip for what it is. I saw this really, really helpful blog post this week about gossip in the church. And this guy recommended, two, or he recommended a, a bunch of things to do. I'm going to give you two. When you hear gossip or hear something that you might think of as gossip, just ask the person, hey, why are you telling me this? That's a really good question, a really good diagnostic question to say, why are you telling me this? What are you trying to accomplish by telling me this? Is this just gossip for gossip's sake? To put ourselves in a place of exclusivity? To put ourselves in a seat of moral judgment? Or is there like some real value for me for you telling me this? Maybe there is a reason for you telling me this. I just want to know it. So why are you telling me this? Or, another question is, now that you've told me this, what are you going to do about it? Now that you've told me this thing about this person, How are you going to go to this person and fix what's out here? Okay? So recognizing gossip for what it is is really important. If gossip betrays trust and puts up barriers all in our relationships, and our community, we as Christians should be in the business of destroying those, of living in community, loving and serving one another, and finding any barrier that we can and destroying it. So why are you telling me this? Instead of lying, we should be truth tellers. Twenty four, twenty eight. Solomon says, "Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips." Why should we not deceive with our lips? Because, as Trent just told, told us, if you guys were here in the first service, our God is a God of light, is a God of truth. There is no darkness. There is no untruth. There is no ill motive in Him, and we are called to, if you are in Christ, to now image him more, to become more like him, to, be, to conform to the image of Christ. Becoming more and more like him. Becoming less and less dark and becoming more and more light. We want to give an accurate portrayal of reality, right? If lying is giving an inaccurate por- portrayal of something that's true, we want to give an accurate portrayal of reality. Instead of being brash and hasty, Solomon says, be like this in 1727, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So one of the attributes of wisdom, not just in the tongue, but we've talked about this, one of the attributes of being a wise person is being able to foresee consequences, right? Being able to see what might happen when I do this, when I say this, when I don't get out of bed today, when I, you name it what might what are the consequences of this action so solomon is saying foresee what might happen when you open your mouth and then decide is it a good idea for me to say what i was planning on saying the foolish man opens his mouth too much right he's the hothead who walks through the field of bear traps he's proud and arrogant thinking the world is waiting on his every word and we all know i mean you everyone every single one of you knows that guy right the know-it-all Who, in every subject, whether it's dating or economics or politics or theology or thermonuclear physics or whether it's a good idea to engage in a land war in Asia, right? He's got an opinion on it, right? And he's got to tell you what his opinion is because he knows more than everybody in the room. No one likes that guy, right? And too often I can be that guy, so I'm trying to stop being that guy and keep my mouth shut every now and then. But no one likes that guy. Don't be that guy. But here's, here's the beauty of this. This is kind of funny. We just read 1727 about the wise man restraining his lips. The very next verse, 1728, Solomon writes, And even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Even if you are a complete moron and have nothing to say, if you just keep your mouth shut, everybody'd be like, wow, he's really wise. Look at him, just observing. And he knows he he's really smart and wise. So even if you don't know anything, if you just keep your mouth shut, <laughs> people will think you're really wise. Again, part of the wisdom of Proverbs is just learning how to live skillfully in the culture, observing cultural norms and then living skillfully. A lot of this is just how to function well in society. Okay? And then instead of offering advice at the wrong time, apple a day keeps the doctor away after you've lost a soccer game, 25.11 says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. When you say something that is really meaningful, insightful, wise, it's like a platter of... Apples, caramel apples, right? Why is that? Have you ever, think of, the, think of a time where you've ever received a really, really meaningful piece of advice, of encouragement from someone. Why was it that way? First, because it was probably true, right? But then it was given to you at a really great time. And then you, I think also because you realize that that person really cares for you really loves you. If someone says something true and at the right time, but you don't feel that they really care for you, it's meaningless, right? I think this is what Paul has in mind when he writes in Ephesians 4.15, to speak the truth in love. Both of these things, truth and love, right? If you're only speaking truth but no love, you're like the guy who comes in and says, hey man, buck up, trust God. He works all things together for those who love Him. Right? There's no love. Truth, but no love. Or if you're coming up to the guy and say there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus, you maybe love the guy. I don't know. You don't want to hurt his feelings or something. But you're not speaking truth into his life. That's why Paul is saying both. You've got to have both. Truth and love. Gotta have both. And why are they both needed? He goes on in that same verse and in the next verse to say that speaking the truth in love produces what? Produces the growing up of the body in every way into the head, who is Christ. Our words of encouragement build us up as the church into what we are meant to be. Give life to and form us into the functioning of body of Christ. Coincidentally, this is what we're going to spend an entire weekend on three weeks from now at the Claris Conference. Speaking truth in love to form us into the body of Christ. The words of truth that we find in God's Word. So be there for that, okay? So don't be dumb and hasty with your words. Patiently weigh the consequences of what you're going to say. Instead of being biting and sarcastic Use your tongue for the building up of the body to bring life to others. And then lastly, instead of not remaining silent, not speaking on behalf of those who need to be spoken for, 31, verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So yes, Certainly, that's why Christians are engaging on behalf of those in slavery, sex slavery. Do you guys, re- There are more slaves in the world right now than there were in the 1830s. That's crazy. And Christians should engage on behalf of those in need of the poor. But also, I think we're encouraged here to open our mouths and defend against gossip, lying, flattery, insulting sarcasm, all of this, we should open our mouths in, in truth and love and correct. Okay, so great. Just go home and work on what you should say and what you shouldn't say, and we'll come back next week and be better with our mouths, right? Right? Okay, ready, break. Wait, I thought we read in James 3, James wrote that no human being can tame his tongue. We can tame the lion, right? But you cannot tame your tongue. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. No human being can tame his tongue. Okay, well great, James. Thank you. Forget everything I just said. It's pointless. You can't tame your tongue, you can't uh, be encouraging and not be sarcastic, so I guess we'll just leave discouraged here, right? Well, our last question, how should we say it? How should we do everything that Solomon has just told us to do? Class? (laughs) Right. Right. Our hearts, right? We've talked about our hearts needing change every week here. In 16.23, here we go. Solomon says, "...the heart of the wise man makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Our hearts guide our mouths." Matthew 12. Jesus, I think, is picking up on the same thing here. "...a tree is known by its fruit." You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You guys may remember me giving this illustration, that I think what Jesus is saying here, out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks, is like the picture of a water spigot on the side of your house. Does the, wa- does the spigot produce water on its own? Does it just make some H2O and spit it out? No. There has to be water first behind the spigot, pressure in the pipes coming from some water source. I don't even know how all that water stuff works in the city of Albuquerque or anywhere else. But it's got to be behind the spigot before it can come out, right? Our mouths are the spigot of our heart. Whatever is there or is not there is coming out. Our mouths don't produce something, but they are the overflow of our hearts. So, is willpower enough? practice enough? Is self-control enough? Nope. Solomon and Jesus say our hearts must change first. The things in which we hope in most must change first. The things that we think will satisfy us, secure us, the things that we worship most must change first. I love how Tim Keller points out that when we gossip, lie, talk too much or not enough, really what's at The heart of all that is really the approval for others, or the approval of others. Do you guys see that? Why do you gossip? We talked about this, but generally it's because we want people to think better of us, right? In some way. We want them to think like we're somehow in the know, we're somehow cool, we're somehow better than other people, and so we gossip. Why do we lie? It's either to make people think Uh, Better of us because we did something and we don't want them to know that we did something, so we lie about it. Or we didn't do something and we want them to think better of us, so we say that we did something when we really didn't, right? Approval of others is the thing that we're worshiping most. We're worshiping the approval of others as a false messiah, as something that we think will give us identity, security. So what's got to happen? I love, love, love what Tim Keller has to say about this. He says Pentecost has to happen. What? What's, what's, what's Pentecost in the Bible as we see it in the New Testament? What happens on the day of Pentecost? Do you know where this is in the book of Acts? Acts 2, right? Peter has just given a great sermon to Jerusalem and Thousands have come to faith in Christ. And then what happens? Do you know? The Holy Spirit comes down. These people are here in Jerusalem from all over the world, from all different cultures and languages. The Holy Spirit comes, and they can now understand each other. The Spirit comes, and now they're able to communicate with each other. The speakers are now saying clearly and perfectly expressing themselves from the inside. And... The hearers, the receivers, are hearing clearly, and are perfectly receiving from the outside. Perfect communication, inside and out. Incredible, and this is ha- this happens because they have put their faith in Jesus. This is a reversal of the curse at Babel. You guys remember this story, Genesis, and t- they've instead of. Obeying God's command to spread and scatter and subdue the earth, they're coming together and they try to build a tower to reach God and maybe even become gods themselves. So what does God do to curse them? Just messes up complete language. So those who are trying to communicate from the inside, the speakers can't do so. They can't express themselves clearly. And those who are trying to receive and hear, they can't understand They can't hear or receive clearly. Pentecost in Acts 2 happens when these people hear the words of the gospel and repent. Their hearts are made new. They believe that Jesus is the first word of God. John 1 says that Jesus is the word of God, the word become flesh, God's communication to us. And then in Hebrews 1, God says that not only is he my first word to you, but he is my final word to you. Hebrews 1, that the prophets have been prophesying until now when God finally and ultimately communicated to us in his word, his son Jesus. And then they begin to listen to the shepherd's voice, hear his word, John 10. These people in Acts 2 can finally rest. They hear God's word of approval of them. But only because God first gave Jesus the ultimate silent treatment of not communicating with him when he was on the cross. Jesus is saying, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? I think, Why am I not able to communicate with you? I've been in perfect communication, perfect communion with you for eternity past, and now I can't. I'm hearing silence. The silence that we deserve, but now we are, because of that silence, able to hear God's word of approval for us. Then, when they hear this, these guys in Jerusalem in Acts 2, they receive the Holy Spirit, making their words and communication spring forth like a fountain. They no longer need to gossip, lie, insult, because they no longer need the approval of others. They hear a word of approval from God. So what do you hope in? Is this you? Is this you that is one who hears God's word of approval of you? You are my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, he said this to Jesus at his baptism, and now because of Jesus, we can hear those same words from God to us. So is this the approval that you long for? Is it the approval of others? And until this, you hear this word of approval of you from God, trust in Jesus as Messiah, as the one who will finally give you identity, security, comfort, rest, joy, then you might as well not worry about taming your tongue. You can't do it. There's no point. But if you claim and love to follow Jesus, and your mouth is still full of lies, gossip, slander, insults, might be a good time to reevaluate whether you have truly believed him, in, believed him in the first place. Right? He said that a tree is known by its fruits. If your mouth is full of slander, boasting, flattery, gossip, do you really believe him? Do you really trust him? Rest in him. Tree is known by its fruits. So death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words matter a lot both for the good and well-being of others and the good and well-being for you. Either flying daggers, flying out of your mouth, or a platter of caramel apples. They matter. Okay? So I went long, and Trent went short today. So we're going to try to break it up. Um, They're not out yet, but uh, we're going to break up and talk about this. Um, If you guys are new, mid-high boys, high school boys, high school girls, mid-high girls, let's talk about our tongues our words